John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. It is time for our Wednesdays with Wyman. Dave Wyman joining us. And so, Dave, lots of uh, news to get into. I guess the first one, <clears throat> and a lot of positive things for Seattle. Number one, you know, the fact that uh, Bobby Wagner was named the Defensive Player of the Week in the NFC. Yeah, he had a great game, John, and uh, we're going to kind of do a little football one-on-one thing on him today, but um, he was incredibly physical, and it was just a different uh, a different style of defense that they played, and, you know, it's it's funny, not only with uh, the, the pass coverage and how they have sort of been laying off, um, also in the run, they just, they have not attacked the line of scrimmage, they have not attacked blockers, they have not been aggressive with their play calling, and they were in this game, and it definitely paid off, so... You see, Bobby had a bunch of really big hits. And, you know, the one Jermichael Hasty touchdown, it's too bad that he was able to lunge forward and, and reach the ball over the goal line. But Bobby just smacked him on that one, on that play. So yeah, there was a lot of good physical defense that I really loved. I just thought that's what they've been missing. You know, it, it's just been, it's not been, you know, Bobby has not had like this big physical game where he's blowing people up and, they finally turned it loose and and were aggressive. So that was uh, that was really nice to see. Good, yeah, it really was. Him, how do you think? It. How do you think that's going to pair up right now uh, with the blitzing packages? You know, with Jamal Adams coming back and Bobby Wagner coming off a game like this. Well, I'm just going to give them more uh, options. You know, I mean, I think Adams coming off that edge is so good. We saw that in the first game, especially against Atlanta, and not just in pass situations, but run as well. Just uh, running uh, run blitzes. So, you know, that's all that is, is, you know, you're the guy who has the edge. Um, If you're an edge player and you have to turn everything back in, so we're just going to run you off the edge and make sure nothing gets outside of you. And, uh, you know, that's just you're kind of guessing. But, you know, with Adams and his speed, he's able to run things down. If it's a, a play going the other way, he's fast enough to to get, you know, track it down. We saw that happen several times against Atlanta. So. Yeah, it'll be nice to have him back, and you know, and I've been saying this for a while, John. I don't know how they're going to get, if they're going to get snacks out there, if they're going to get Benson Mayoa, if they're going to get Carlos Dunlap. But once you get all those guys back, there's five Pro Bowlers that I'm counting, um, that guys that have been to the Pro Bowl, and you saw that, you know, they can actually play good aggressive defense. Kept the Niners, uh, you know, right around, what, 250 yards? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's just a huge, drastic. I think, you know, they proved it to themselves that they can do that, that they can play that style, and I, I don't see why they would ever look back. Oh, no doubt. And so that did work out very well. <clears throat> Another thing that worked out very well, because remember, you know, I kept on saying that they have to do something cap-wise, uh, and, of course, you know, they had to wait till Dunlap was able to get through uh, COVID's testing, and you know, once he got through, apparently now it turns out that Carlos Dunlap is the one who gave them the cap relief to be able to fit in his contract, taking two and a half million dollars out of this year's salary and putting it into next year. And so I have to double check the numbers and all that stuff, but they probably have about a million dollars of cap room left. And so it looks like Dunlap kind of did what Jamal Adams did: is that help this team out because he wants to be here. Remember, Adams, uh, you know, he's on a like three point six million dollars this year, and he's got the 10 plus million dollar 50 year option next year and he says i'll play under this year's contract we'll work on something next year and same thing now for carlos dunlap in a little bit of a different way 
Yeah, it's amazing how, uh, you know, typically, I mean, look, that just doesn't happen other places, I, I feel like. I mean, well, some places, but I mean, look, it's just, this is a, a place where everybody wants to be. And, you know, two, three, I'm trying to count how many disgruntled players we have here, John. I mean, and, and it sounds bad because it makes them sound like they're malcontents, but a guy like Dwayne Brown, I mean, he wasn't happy in Houston. You know, and he he was pretty vocal about it, and he wanted out of there. And look at what a great teammate he oh, yeah. is and how much he loves it here. And then, you know, same thing with Carlos Dunlap. So it's kind of interesting, you know, that Dunlap and Adams, they complain just enough to get, you know, get them out of uh, the situations that they were in. And, you know, I just think when guys walk through the doors down there at the VMAC, it's it's a totally different world, and that's that's something that a lot of people don't realize. That you know, you, you think okay, the NFL has these standards, but they're not all the same. You know, not all teams are the same, not owners are the same, and the ownership here, you know, I would say it comes from the the top down. Oh no, no, no doubt about it. Now, <clears throat> a couple interesting things I'm wondering as far as considerations. Uh, I know yesterday we talked about uh, you know Vic Beasley and Jadevian Clowney, you know, being paid over twenty two million dollars. Uh, on one-year deals going to Tennessee, and here they are with zero sacks, and sure enough, they end up cutting Vic Beasley along with Jonathan Joseph, a cornerback, and a long snapper, Bo Brinkley. And so, uh, you know, I would have to think Seattle, with their cap situation, wouldn't be picking him up in a in a, a waiver claim, you know, because again, it's they've got a three and a half million dollar base that you get him for, you know, seven seventeenths of that, but. What about the possibility if he does clear waivers of maybe seeing you can get him out here to sign? Well, I I wouldn't be surprised, right? I yeah. mean, Schneider and Pete Carroll are in on everything, as we always say, so you never know. But it's kind of interesting, the Vic Beasley one, I mean, that's it, kind of a mystery, and you probably know more than, than I would, John, but uh, in the beginning of the, the, the season, didn't he just not show up and nobody yeah. really knew what the deal was? And, you know, there's a lot ten of days. He missed COVID. ten days. Missed 10 days, and did he ever give them a a reason? Yeah, John Robinson, the general manager, was interviewed on Zoom today and said it it was a medical thing. So I don't know what the medical thing was. Uh, Maybe he was sick of playing football or something like that, even though he had not been in training (laughs) camp. But it's like he said it was a medical thing. Yeah, so, I mean, and that's the thing right now with with COVID, the the landscape here is that, you know, a lot of – there's some casualties because of that, and there's lots of things that you don't know. It's just different, you know. So, and, and you know, I, I'd say Daryl Taylor, the the pass rusher from Tennessee that they drafted, you know, he's a, probably, if we hadn't, you know, been on lockdown and everything, they probably could have got their hands on him and told him to not train as hard because he got tendonitis and set himself back. And, you know, and then there was, uh, you know, with B.J. Finney, I mean, I, there was something there where he was, he didn't seem like he was ready. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of situations that normally you would know. You'd look at the guy and go, oh, yeah, this guy's ready to go. And now you just don't know because they couldn't really get their hands on these guys. So so as far as uh, Beasley goes, I mean, who knows? I mean, I don't, I don't know if he's in shape. You know, same thing with, like, Snacks Harrison. You bring in, uh, you know, Kendricks. I know they did before anyway. And you know, you do, you just don't know what kind of shape they're in and what kind of football shape they're in. So, but yeah, Vic Beasley. I mean, you know, down in Tennessee, they got they got nothing out of him. Nothing, absolutely <clears throat> nothing. And then you know, you look at uh, Clowney as well, and it's just kind of a credit to to John Schneider that I mean, he's made some plays. He's got I think three tackles for loss. He's broken up uh, four passes, but no sacks for Jadavian Clowney. 
And, of course, I mean, uh, they have a Tennessee in uh, seven games, seven sacks, because they're on pace for a 16-sack season, where Seattle now has 12 sacks. And, you know, you go back to last year, even with Clowney, as good as he was, <clears throat> team only had 28 sacks. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you just, I mean, I think that was the big debate. And, I, look, I was, I'm a Clowney fan just because he's disruptive. But the Seahawks, you know, I, I feel like he... He should have taken that deal in Cleveland, oh, yeah. first of all. 15, 16 million? Deal. Yeah, so it's too bad for him. But By the way, you know, know, they, I, did, I did look at the, you know, the pass rushers that moved to different teams, uh-huh. and there's so few <clears throat> that are you know, doing you know, sacks and all that stuff. Emmanuel Ogba, who is down in Miami, at seven and a half sacks, is about the best of anybody right now that moved to a different team. He was either a linebacker or an edge rusher. Yeah. Well, and they've said, you know, that the holding calls are down as far as yeah. offensively. So, you know, that might have something to do with it. But, yeah, you don't see a whole bunch of, you know, it just doesn't seem there's a lot of explosive sacks. You know, guys, uh, I think the totals are, are, are down. That could be my imagination. But, I mean, I know this. They are not calling a lot of the, the holding penalties and a lot of the stuff on the offensive line nearly as much as they have in years past. Another one I think is a consideration, and I don't know, maybe this is a bad one. <clears throat> Dante Pettis was let go by San Francisco, former Washington Husky, could be a returner, uh, former second-round disappointment. I guess you call him second-round bust. But <clears throat> you know, with the likelihood of the with the ankle bone spur that's there for Philip Dorsett, could that be a consideration on a waiver claim for Seattle? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, that again, always in, in everything. You know, I was thinking about that the other day, John, but then, you know, David Moore has really been, you know, and he's a good return guy, and he has really been a, a nice surprise, and I feel like, you know, I don't really miss Dorsett. I know that that mm-hmm. ended up being a bad deal because we really didn't see him, but I just think David Moore has done a really good job. He's really stepped up. He's had a very successful season, I think, so far, so... You know that they do have him, but uh, yeah, I mean, look any any chance they get to to take a look at a guy like that, and you never know. Dante Pettis might come in here and become the guy that everybody thought he was. That's great. So, <clears throat> what do you have? Uh, you could take take uh, football one hundred one. It's a football one hundred one, right? Yeah, we're okay, taping what's... football one hundred one today. Yeah, and we're going to do uh, the Bobby Wagner sacks. Uh, Two just you know well designed, a lot of stuff going on in those uh, in those sacks. John guys uh, crossing and looping, and they're dropping Stephon Sullivan, who is a receiver tight end, who was a seventh round rookie. He got out there for a bunch of snaps, and then mostly it's just Bobby being really physical. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, and of course, I'll talk to you at four o'clock. Okay, John, thanks. That's our Wednesdays with Wyman. And, of course, coming up next, and make sure to listen to the show via the 710 Sports app, powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we get the grade book out. With, and to go and take a look and see what the grades are on the report card, it's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's time for the report card with the professor. In the report card we get out each day, we look at the good, the bad, the ugly, the smart, the stupid, what people say, what people do. We take the stories, we take the anecdotes, we take social media comments, and also the voices and uh, attach a grade to it. And so, Curtis, we hear every day for this. Curtis Rogers giving us the report card. Well, John, let's get started. Yesterday, the NFL trade deadline came and went, and there wasn't a lot of movement in. I think that was much to the chagrin of one Tack McKinley defensive end for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, a couple days before the trade deadline, 
he posted, the Falcons aren't trading me. They have declined a handful of offers. So him just kind of, you know, stoking the fire. Well, then yesterday he came at it with a hay, or actually this morning, he came at the Falcons with a haymaker. Uh, He said this, he says, these Atlanta Falcons turned down a second round draft pick when I requested to get traded last year. These same Falcons turned down a fifth and sixth round draft pick from multiple teams when I requested to get traded this year. I only have 17 and a half sacks. And then he also added three clown emojis, calling the Falcons clowns with that. So, John, how are we grading Tack McKinley uh, sticking it to his own team for not trading him at multiple instances? He gets an F. And I think he gets an F because I know Raheem Morris came out this morning and talked about the immaturity that he showed with those comments and how bad things are. And he says, we will take action against this. And so I don't know if it's going to be suspension or anything else. Obviously, it's the timing of it is bad for him because it's like if he's seeking to get a trade, <clears throat> he can't be traded. Trade deadline's over. And so he, he's boxed himself in a corner. And you know he's not going to be back next year. I think that's pretty safe to say. But, uh, no, I think I mean he's now made the, the last eight games of his Falcon career miserable because of this. I give him an F. Yeah, I do love the juiciness of this, of him you know, yeah. sticking it to his own team. Uh, it definitely raises the eyebrow. But the team that is controlling your paycheck, you do not want to go at them no. like that, Tack McKinley, because they can cut you just as easily as you put that tweet out there. And when they cut you, there's no guarantee those paychecks are going to be coming anytime soon. Uh, it's a bold of Tack McKinley to do, but I'm going to give him a D- minus for this uh, just because, like, hey, buddy, you got to have mm-hmm. the, that, that stream coming into your bank account every single week. Uh, John, also on the report card, Today, Jets GM Joe Douglas appeared on uh, the ESPN radio affiliate New York City with Michael K. Show and was asked about a lot of things going on with the team because, frankly, there's not a lot going right for the Jets this year. Uh, He was asked about Adam Gase and and just having him as the head coach, uh, Joe Douglas giving him the dreaded vote of confidence. Yeah, I think for where we were, we we didn't think that that giving him the money was the right solution uh, long term. You know, and I don't think we were in the position to to give him what he wanted when he wanted it, and I think that's why what happened happened. Um, but you know, ultimately, there that wasn't the reason we traded him. The, the reason we traded him is a team came out of nowhere and made a tremendous offer on a tremendous player, and it was an offer that we thought with where we were at the time that for us to get to where we need to be, we need to build a foundation of draft picks. So. Jamal was a very good draft pick, and so um, hopefully we, ter- we were able to turn Jamal into multiple good draft picks. But you know, again, you know, I-, I need to be judged on those picks when we make them. Well, that was uh, Joe Douglas actually explaining the Jamal Adams yeah. trade uh, from a couple months ago, and then also he said that uh, he's confident in Adam Gase. Uh, they're pretty much going to play the rest of the season out. There was a lot that Joe Douglas said. He said he regretted trading or he regretted letting Robbie Anderson go in free agency. He signed with Carolina, and he's been having a good season for the Panthers so far this year. John, how are we grading Joe Douglas's explanation for all of the craziness and all of the madness and all of the mess that is going on in East Rutherford, New Jersey? Yeah, I'm going to give him a, a D because uh, I mean, it's this thing is a total mess, an absolute, complete, and total mess, and he's part of the responsibility of having that happen. <clears throat> and so, with that in mind, it's like uh, it's <clears throat> and you know, I, I thought the one comment didn't he say something as if you know. Adam Gaze is the solution. It's like, yeah. are you kidding me? 
<laughs> I, there's nothing that Adam Gase has shown as a head coach in the NFL that would even influence me in thinking that he's a, a solution to anything. Right. Maybe a solution to finding your next head coach uh, because that's somebody who's not going to be around for much longer. Yeah. John, Joe Douglas, he signed that six-year contract a year ago. This is year two of the deal. Could he be on the hot seat for, for what's gone on this season no, in New York? I, I don't think so. I think they'll stand by him, but I don't think they're going to stand by Adam Gaze. But, I mean, this, <clears throat> I mean, he's going through one of the most dis- disastrous seasons I can ever see. I mean, this is worse than <clears throat> the Cleveland winless season, the Detroit winless season, and, you know, there's hardly anything left for talent on that team. And, you know, Douglas has to also take the blame for you know, having all the bad problems on the offensive line because that hasn't worked out. And then also all the crazy stuff that's going on with this team. It's it's a bad situation. It is. Toxic all around. Also on the report card today, John, the NFL handing out some fines for Week 8. And there were two players that got one of the most ridiculous fines you will ever see. Uh, Steelers running back James Conner and wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster each fined $5,000. For wearing their socks too low. That is an actual mm-hmm. rule the NFL has, uh, apparently. They were both slapped with the, the $5,000 notice in their lockers on Tuesday of this week. Uh, so, John, how are we grading the NFL with all their infinite wisdom and, and all the, the things that they do rule on coming after these two guys for a sock uh, height? infraction well i mean the unfortunate thing is that they've been doing this now for the longest period of time and so i guess you can't give it an f but it does seem silly but they they have standards and they want those standards to be met and so uh you know i'll I'll give it a c i'll i'll give it an f i mean it sucks that's what that's what the nfl is choosing to rule on here i mean obviously the money goes to charity at the end of all of this every fine that the nfl levies the money gets donated to a charity of their cause so uh it's going to its good a good place but i mean it sucks have you ever worn five thousand dollar pairs of socks because that's basically what these were uh no never have done that how about you (laughs) no i'm uh i'm picking out the uh the hanes from the target rack that are like 10 Mm -hmm. bucks for the the six pack whatever uh then finally john on the report card the mariners getting some really cool news yesterday as major league baseball announced their gold glove uh select the gold glove selection for both the american league and national league not really sure why they did it during the election results seeing as it didn't get a whole lot of notice but evan white mariners first baseman rookie first baseman and then shortstop jp crawford each named american league gold glovers for the first time in their career both just 24 and 24 25 years old both key members of this uh mariners retooling effort how are we grading those guys coming home with some nice hardware uh, early on in their careers. Oh, definitely an A because again, it's like a, you know you can see in one more award awaiting next week is going to be the Rookie of the Year, and don't you get the feeling that Kevin Lewis is going to be able to win that one? Yeah. And so no, I think it's great because again, you know Evan White, you knew was going to be a good fielder, uh, kind of reminded everybody of John Olerud, and you know becomes what the first. Uh, First time in baseball history that a rookie first baseman wins that. That's impressive. And, of course, I don't know if anybody expected a shortstop like J.P. Crawford to be able to come in and establish himself with that. And now all of a sudden, you know, with Kyle Seeger and, uh, you know, uh, three guys who have won gold gloves on the infield, 
That's not bad. Yeah, that's really good. I would gladly take that leather any day of the week. Uh, giving those guys an ape for uh, all they did in the, in the field this season. Uh, if their bats come around, watch out, because then the Mariners' rebuild gets real serious. But like you said, John, Kyle Lewis uh, coming up on the 9th uh, of yeah. November is when the Rookie of the Year will get announced. So uh, not bad for a 60-game season. A, cup, a pair of gold glovers and a likely Rookie of the Year. I'll take that any day of the week. That yep. is it for the report card. Okay, and be sure to check out the professor's notes at 710 Sports. Com. The professor's notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we are going to go on the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line and take your text questions. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. It is time to go on a Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line to take your text questions. Text us at 710-710. And so what do we have, Curtis? This one from the 360, John. They want to know, what do you make of Seattle's interest in former Seahawk Jacob Martin at the deadline? Because uh, he, he's a good player. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's still on his rookie contract. Uh, that that would have been an interesting move to make, and I think that would have been a good one because you know when he played here, he was good, and you saw that uh, you know he has ended up doing well. I mean, you can you can still say that uh, you know, uh, that Barkevius Mingo, who's now in Cleveland, has done some good things. But no, I like it. I think that would have been a good move if they were able to pull it off. Yeah, Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicle reporting that this morning that the Seahawks did kick the tires on reacquiring Jacob Martin at the deadline. Once again, uh, showing John Snyder is involved in everything. Exactly. This one from the, uh, let's see here, 425. They want to know what are the real what's the realistic timetable for George Kittle's return? It seems like him and Kyle Shanahan are on a different page. Yeah, it's eight weeks. I mean... And probably that means you know they've already played eight games. I think that means he's probably going to be out for the rest of the season because you know let's say they lose their next two games, go to four and six. And again, they have to play the game tomorrow to be able to see if they can do that because again everything that the building right now down in San Francisco and San Jose is closed down because of a positive test by Kendrick Bourne. But I'd say right now, realistically, he's done for the year. Five oh nine wants to know, John, is this year's Jets offense as bad or worse? than the 92 Seahawks offense. Uh, nothing as bad as the 92 Seahawks offense. I mean, that was the, the worst I've ever seen. I mean, it was so bad. I mean, what do they score, like 134 points or something like that? I know it was like one of the third lowest in NFL history, and it was dreadful to watch. So bad that, you know, just about every game, you know, writers and beat writers on the other teams would come over and say, I feel sorry for you having to watch this stuff. And I said, yeah, me too. This one comes to us from the 253. They want to know, you think Rashad Penny is back within the next two weeks? I think so, yeah. I mean, you know, that's going to be the interesting decision of what they do at the running back position. Do they keep five running backs or what do they do? Of course, I mean, this is a team that had five tight ends on the roster this past week. So, yeah, I think, you know, that's going to be interesting to see. But I think that uh, he should be within two weeks. 425 wants to know, John, how would you grade Tennessee's signing of Jadevian Clowney so far? C minus. I mean, <clears throat> because and again, it's like it's it's funny because you know he's done good things. I mean, he's I think like Pro Football Focus a week ago had him as like the 21st best edge rusher for his disruptive plays and all that stuff. So he's doing the same thing he did here, except again, no sacks. Five oh nine wants to know, John, any updates on Daryl Taylor? Do you think the Seahawks have shut him down for the season? No, I don't think so. I mean, um, Pete Carroll hasn't said that, and you know, Pete is uh, you know pretty oh upfront as far as giving the injury updates on guys. I mean, you know, he basically has said that uh, you know uh, like 
you, you can see that Philip Dorsett was having a, a downturn, and so now we find out it was ankle bone spurs, and he's out for the season. But you know, he did say a couple weeks ago that uh, he was making some progress. 509, John, they say Vic Beasley was once a sack leader in Dan Quinn's defense. So with that being similar to Pete Carroll's defense, do you think Seattle would have interest in it? I think, he, I think they should. I think that, I have to think that they will. I mean, you know, particularly now that uh, Aaron Wilson did put out the the good notion that they were trying to see about getting, you know, uh, Jacob Martin back. I mean, they can use one more guy. And whether it's Vic Beasley, now, of course, you know, it's out of the question for Martin. But, uh, you know, I, I like the idea because, again, it's like it's not like he has to come here and start. I mean, he can come here and be a defensive end and do some good things. He has been to one Pro Bowl. From the 253, they want to know, Professor, do playoff – game checks count against the salary cap? Uh, no, they do not. I mean, you get that separate, so uh, that is not part of the salary cap, and you know, the big thing is you can make the playoffs and get as many games as you can. 360 wants to know, John, will Aaron Jones play for Green Bay tomorrow? I don't think so. doesn't look good. I think they're going to be down like the Seahawks, three running backs, and so I think that's, that's going to be really tough. Well, it's going to be interesting if that game oh, yeah. gets played, especially with San Francisco having to shut their facility down today. Green Bay has also had a couple of positive two, tests yeah, this two week. positive tests. What, I mean, well, actually, it was a three right now because the linebacker, uh, Camille uh, Martin, and Kamala Martin ended up uh, having a, uh, you know, at least he's on the COVID's list. And again, you know, what it comes down to is that, you know, you have to figure out, because again, what's happening, like, for example, there's like eight guys on Baltimore that, uh, or nine guys on Baltimore that are on the COVID's list, but, you know, eight of them are, have not tested positive. It was just that, uh, you know, their cornerback, Marlon Humphrey, ended up testing positive. And so anybody that traced near him has to sit for five days. And so, uh, you know, that's just part of the deal. And unfortunately, it takes players out of the mix. This one from the 360. They want to know, John, how do you think DK Metcalf will fare being covered by Tredavious White? Uh, I think that, uh, you know, because Tredavious has not had a good season so far, as good as he is and how talented he is. But I, I think that he can probably do some good things because, again, he's so physical and so good. This one comes to us from the 253. Speaking of Tredavious White, they want to know which players on the Bills team should Seattle be most concerned about? I think uh, Stefan Diggs because he's he's having such a great season. I think he's, what, he's number two right now in receiving in the league, and he's able to get deep. He's able to do so many things, and because they've got three good receivers, you know, you don't fear Cole Beasley in the slot. I mean, you can see that John Brown can get downfield, but no, I think that uh, Diggs is the one you really worry about. Uh, this one from the 425, they want to know, John, uh, who do you think on Tampa Bay's receiving group We'll see their workload decrease with Antonio Brown coming back. Because mm, they're well, I, you know, if they take away from Mike Evans, and now again, Chris Godwin actually surprising was supposed to miss a month, but now he was on the field today with a cast on. You know, he had surgery on his hand. I don't know if, for a finger injury, so I don't know how that one's going to work out. But I have to think that uh, you know you can. You know, it's probably it's going to be interesting because, again, particularly the guys that are going to be affected the most, I think, are going to be the tight ends. You know, Cameron Braid and Rob Gronkowski, because they might do some three and four wide receiver sets. And if that's the case, you're not going to see a lot less of the tight ends. 
425 wants to know, John, who is Miami's next man up at running back after Miles Gaskin has been ruled out? Hmm, good question. I don't know if it's going to be Lynn Bowden or, uh, you know, because and they keep, and they made the, it could be uh, Dwayne Washington, although, again, they just made the trade for him from Kansas City, and it's on a Tuesday, so he's not going to be available this week. So uh, they just have the next man up. That's all they can do. Question from the 916. They want to know, John, should Seattle be worried about Bills running back Devin Singletary? Uh, I mean, just not worried, but uh, just have to try to do the best they can to stop him. So it's like, uh, you know, the, the either he or Zach Moss. Moss is, Moss is the one that's kind of intriguing because he's a big back, and I know Seattle is real interested in him. And so, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, they're, 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 there's not a fear factor in the running game. From the 2-5-3, they want to know, do you expect Shaquille Griffin to play on Sunday? I think so, yeah. Now, we'll find out more this afternoon when they post the injury report to see if he's out of concussion protocol. But you'd have to think, you know, after one week, it didn't seem to be a serious one. It was one that took him out of one game. But I think he'll be there. And then, John, we will wrap it up with this one. They want to know, how many of Seattle's running back group do you expect to be healthy on Sunday? Hmm... I, I we'll find out more about Chris Carson. I think Travis Homer because he obviously he did some things in the game on Sunday. Uh, it doesn't look good, I think, for Carlos Hyde. So I think one out of three. That's going to do it for text questions. Okay, so it's time for our daily dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby. It's coming up next. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. It's time for our Daily Dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby. And so, <clears throat> interesting things coming out in the National Football League. I mean, boy, uh, a lot more positive, not t- positive tests, but more guys on the COVID's list. I mean, questions right now in San Francisco. Kendrick Bourne tested positive, so they closed the facility. Green Bay still scheduled to fly out at 2.15 to San Francisco for the Thursday night game, but they have three players with uh, on the COVID's list. And so, uh, you know, kind of an interesting time right now. Seems increasingly likely they're going to need that extra week, doesn't it? It does sound like it, yeah. I mean, because, again, it's like, for example, in Baltimore, you know, the Marlon Humphreys, one of the highest-paid cornerbacks in football and one of the best cornerbacks in football, he tested positive. And so eight guys that he was in contact with, you know, now they're on the COVID list. Yeah, it's uh, anticipated, but we'll have to see how it plays out still, John. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And, of course, uh, you know, the uh, games are still scheduled. I mean, we have nothing changed there. But, uh, you know, you have to worry about some of these things because, again, it's, it's, a, it's a big one of the bigger groups this week. Again, it's not as big as a one-team Tennessee, which had 24 different people in the organization that tested uh, positive. But, uh, yeah, you know, but, hey, we'll see. And, you know, Baltimore, for example, they don't, they've already had their bye week. Green Bay's had their bye week. So if the game can't be played on Thursday, I don't know if they move it back to Tuesday or whatever they do, but uh, you know they're going to be some juggling. The decision making has got to be fluid, and uh, and so far it has been. But uh, you are absolutely right; the juggling is is it's not going away either, John. I mean that's that's the, that's the thing. I mean the NFL, college football for that matter, uh, not playing in a bubble. So uh, especially with uh, with cases going up all over the place, the likelihood is there will be more cases. Oh yeah, no doubt. And by the way, to that to that uh, thought is that uh, today's our first Washington Wednesday, and the mm. Pac-12 season has kind of snuck up on everybody. <laughs> Completely. I mean, well, it, it, it kind of because it was quiet because obviously they weren't playing, and they're playing a conference-only schedule. So yes, uh, I agree. It has kind of snuck up, and 
and um, it feels um, feels different because it, it doesn't feel like you've had the same sort of uh, run up to it that, that well you haven't uh, where you'd have a, a good sense of, of who's going to play how, how they're going to play I mean you know what things look like on paper but you've had some guys opt out uh, you don't know when it comes to college guys you know how dealing with the extra adversity is going to impact them so uh, I would say that I think it's probably a fairly wide open race in the Pac-12. Just just to say something safe. Oh yeah, and of course, uh, still going to be fun. I mean, how how and that's the one thing we talked to Yogi Roth from the Pac-12 Network today. And like everybody else, nobody knows what to expect because nobody's seen these guys. Exactly. I mean, exactly. Uh, and um, you know, uh, in in certain places like Washington, you don't even know who's playing quarterback yet. No, exactly. I mean, they're they're hinting and hinting and hinting, and and uh, and nothing has even been announced yet. I mean, you know, some players are back. I mean, you know, Washington where they're strong, where they're where they're where they're maybe not so strong. But um, again, I agree with Yogi completely. It's very it's, it's a team like Oregon in particular. I mean, it's very very difficult because you haven't really had the access to spring football that you normally have. You, you didn't have the access to to you know a training camp uh, in the fall like you normally have. So. You really are kind of throwing darts when when the season gets started this weekend. Yeah, no doubt. But uh, you know that's going to be kind of fun to get that on the agenda. And of course, every game Definitely. is going to be televised, uh, which is which is good. But I mean, I did notice, and and I, I don't think the Huskies have one scheduled yet. I'm, I'm not sure about that. But uh, they're playing a nine o'clock game in the Pac-12. Yeah, exactly. Which very unusual. I, mean, that, I think it's a ter- uh, just a uh, terrible mistake. Terrible mistake, but um, no, it's the Pac-12. They yeah, make it's terrible Pac-12. Mistakes. Yeah, we we've we've seen a bunch of that, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Under their current leadership, we've seen a lot of that. So um, that's that's just a that was actually going to be Washington's deal. I think with the Michigan game that that they wound up not playing was going to be that early. Uh, just uh, just a crazy thing to agree to for the Pac-12, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious to see how the players handle it. I mean, it's a lot different than saying playing at night, seven thirty, eight o'clock. That's not nearly the, the deal that I think playing. I mean, you play a nine o'clock game. When are you getting up at three thirty, four in the morning? Yeah, exactly. And got to have training table, and and you know you need an hour or two to get ready. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the Pac-12 on the uh, Seahawk front. A bunch of different things. Uh, mm. uh, First off, I guess the good news is that Bobby Wagner was able to be uh, NFC Defensive Player of the Year or Player of the Week. Week, week. yes, yeah, yeah not the. <laughs> Definitely deserved it. I mean, uh, had had a had a tremendous week. Uh, what was uh, the center of that defense, and as, as he always is, but but uh, you know, really uh, showed some some chops as a pass rusher uh, when they they adopted this more aggressive, uh, really high risk strategy that that didn't burn him until it was too late. And and Wagner was uh, was tremendous rushing the passer. Uh, really kind of you know responded to some criticism that uh, and and it was justifiable. I mean. Look, if Bobby Wagner's the leader of that defense, which he is and has been for years, if that defense has given up historic yards, you're going to start with him, and, and he understands that. So uh, I thought it was uh, very well-deserved and, and very well-earned and had a terrific game, and, and uh, we'll hope he keeps it up. Yeah, and of course, uh, you know he'll be teamed up again with Jamal Adams because it looks like everything's all on course right now for Adams to come back and play in this game Sunday against Buffalo. Yeah, this is an interesting one. The, uh, obviously, traveling back east, although I don't think weather's going to be a factor, but, you know, it's always different when you see a team that you don't play much. And, and this is Russell Wilson's first game in Buffalo, isn't it? This is the yeah. last stadium that he hadn't played in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I believe they played Buffalo when they were playing in Toronto the last time they played. So, um, just goes to show that, you know, this is not a team that you, you know a whole lot about, but 
uh, a team that's uh, that's leading in the East uh, that uh, has been playing has been playing well. It, it should be a it should be a good matchup. Yeah, it really should be. And of course, you know, uh, it was interesting that uh, Carlos Dunlap is the one who gave Seattle the cap room to be able to get the Carlos Dunlap trade into their books because there was like about a two point four million dollar difference between his contract and B.J. Finney's contract as far as cap room this year. And uh, you know, he was the one that's willing to delay getting two and a half million dollars to make this thing work. Talking about making a good first impression. Oh yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, this is this is something that that endears you to the to the front office big time. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, that was uh, I saw that it was a nice thing. It was something you don't normally you don't normally see, but um, you know, I know he, he wound up with a with a new restructured deal and and gave the Seahawks some cap relief uh, and uh, which they I know appreciated. And it, it, like I said, he has a good year, and and it, it certainly will make you more inclined to. to to not cut them before the bonuses do. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, they may have to redo something on the contract next year, but I think, hey, you worry about next year, uh, next year, and <clears throat> kind of did the same thing as Jamal Adams to a certain degree because, you know, Adams, because once he was thankful Seattle was ma- able to make the trade, said, I'll play under my existing contract this year and has. He was making $3.6 million. You know, he wanted out of the Jets because they hadn't negotiated anything on the contract on an extension. And so now Seattle gets a good player in Jamal Adams. And you know, again, with with, um, with already a, a good relationship with your agent and, and the yeah. organization, which is which is something that that, that definitely bodes well for the organization. Uh, and it's uh, you know you can you can contrast that with what they never did have, as it turned out, with Davian Clowney, which was any kind of uh, relationship beyond what he was doing on the field. And and here you have a little bit of give and take. And and again, I think it it makes you inclined or more inclined. You, you you've got some communication. You, you've had some good communication. So kind of helps in keeping these players. So now going back to Clowney, of course, you know, Clowney and Vic Beasley, who cost the Tennessee Titans $22.5 million on one-year deals, uh, neither one has a sack. The Tennessee Titans have seven sacks compared to the Seattle's 12, and uh, all of a sudden Vic Beasley gets cut. Now, again, he can be waiver-claimed because that's now starting this week, but if you're Seattle and he clears waivers, would you consider signing him for the NFL minimum? I don't know. I mean, I, I suppose. Look, you're John Schneider and Pete Carroll. You consider everything, don't you? Yeah. And, and even though uh, you know there've been some off the field stuff, I mean, it's not this guy's not that far removed from being an elite player. So, I think it would come down to they're not worried about the off the field stuff. If they feel like he's still got some game, I think they would certainly consider it because of who they are. Yeah, and the reason I say uh, NFL minimum is because you know he's still being paid and will be paid by the because he got a guaranteed contract of one year, nine point five million, and the only change would be uh, you know what minimum salary. Uh, 750 under the cap that it would fit so uh you know that could be an option right now but again other teams might be interested and other teams with more cap room might be willing to do something finally quickly uh dante pettis was cut by san francisco should that be a consideration with philip dorsett most likely out for the rest of the season absolutely yeah I absolutely agree. it should be and I, and I imagine it will be and i imagine there'll be some interest in him but yes i would i would think that the seahawks would be very interested in him and that's our Daily Dose of the Garage with Dave Grosby. David, thank you so much. John, a pleasure. We'll talk again tomorrow. All right, sounds good. And, of course, we will be back tomorrow at 10. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.